Amen. All right. So things uh, things are more than likely going to get sus real quick here. Which, by the way, we were saying sus way longer than you guys were. It means suspicious. So I am looking for I am looking for eight volunteers. Hold on. Goodness, this is like kids ministry all over again. I don't know what you're asking, but I'm going to raise my hand. I'm looking for volunteers. That's usually who trust me? All right, everyone, keep hands up so I can look at who is not trusting me. No, just kidding. Got it. Got it. All right, all right, all right. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. All right. That's me. All right, so I already, yeah, Sammy, Kendall, Carlin, because you guys had first volunteered. I'm going to do Mancini. Rogers, are you sure? You've only known me for a couple weeks, bro. Man, go for it. All right, come on up. There was. I'm waving my fingers. Hey, man. All right, AJ. There it is. Huh? Coast up. All right. Wait, how many do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and Isabella. Holy crap, you don't listen to anybody. So today, we're going to. I got Egon. Oh. Egon, you idiot. The glasses, though. He kind of looks like it. All right. All right. So listen. I have in the back, there's eight cups of lemonade. One at a time, you're going to go, you're going to grab a cup. And you're going to drink it. Is it Listen, I need you guys to trust me. Listen, I need you guys to trust me. Are you absolutely sure that you trust me? Yes. Yes. You trust I wouldn't do anything to harm you. I trust you. Okay. One at a time. One at a time. Go ahead and pick your. Pick your lemonade. Just bring it back to your seat. Don't drink it yet. Take it back to your seat. Don't do anything to it. Actually, go go up front. Go up front. You don't need to go back to your seat. Goodness. Just go ahead and line up front. You can. Let's go, fellas. Don't, don't, don't do anything to it. Smelling is anything. All right. Listen, 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 listen. You guys sure you trust me? Yes. Okay. You may drink. Whole thing. Nice. Like drink it. Everybody just chug it, chug it, chug it. Oh, Rufy's kicking really quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so funny. They all just start falling over. <laughs> you all right, Rogers? All right. Sammy, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you all right, Isabella? What? I can't drink. I just a lot of lemonade at once. I'm not gonna lie. If you have to You're all right, Carlin? Yeah, all right. All right, throw the cups away and then back to your seats. I appreciate you guys trusting me. All right. 
So we're in James chapter 1. Hopefully you have your Bibles open. We started a study last week on the marks of a maturing disciple. We're coming off of camp. We're coming off summer. We are already full swing into the school season. And so you need to ask yourself, am I growing? Has there been any steps back? Has it been one step forward? With my camp commitments, one step forward in my walk with Christ, with discipleship or baptism or sharing my faith in Christ or stepping out of my comfort zone and and doing a Bible devotion in front of my peers? Am I taking one step forward, but then two steps back elsewhere? Or have I been growing? Have I been maturing? That's what this study is all about. The title of tonight's message is called Simply Suffering. And in the introduction on your paper there, it says, James wastes no time at all getting his letter off the ground. The very first principle that he points out in his letter to people scattered abroad to their faith or for their faith is that suffering marks a growing follower of Christ. Shotguns it right out of the gate with this book, with this chapter, talking right about suffering. Look at me in verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, what up? He said greeting there, but I just added to the Word of God. And I took away from the Word of God. Now I'm going to probably suffer some plagues. Verse 2. My brethren, waste no time at all. Count it all what? When ye fall in diverse temptations. of Diversity of temptations. A vast, a vast array of temptations. Knowing this, verse 3, that the trying or testing of your faith worketh what? But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be, what? And entire, wanting nothing. You know what's interesting uh, on your outline there, the proper attitude to have towards trials. It says to count it all joy when the proof of your faith is put to the test. You guys realize that word temptation, it actually means putting to proof. In other words, it's, tr- it's testing time. It is putting to proof what's really inside of me. Do I have faith? Do I have the Lord Jesus Christ inside of me? Well, now it's time to prove it. It's time to put it to the test. Count it all joy when the proof of your faith is put to the test. Hold your place here and turn over one book to your right to 1 Peter. You know, we talked a lot in our introductory class last week on the book of James about how James is writing to suffering saints. That's the audience. But really, if there's a book of your Bible that is all about suffering, trials, tribulations, it's 1 Peter. From beginning to end, this book is all about that and the attitude you should have towards it. Look in chapter 1, verse 6. Can I get a reader for verses 6 to 8, actually? AJ, thank you. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, hmm. ye love, in whom through now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with unspeakable with with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He compares the trial or the testing of your faith to what in this passage? Joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. What about what physical substance does he liken it to in verse 7? Gold. Gold. 
And when he says tried and, and gold that perisheth, being tried with fire, has anybody actually seen gold purified? Do you guys know the process of what goes into gold being purified? What happens? You heat it, and then what happens? Why would you heat it? What benefit do you get from putting it in fire? Isabella? It burns impurities. So in other words, things that make it less pure, things that make it less valuable, the fire helps bring those things to the surface so that you can then get rid of it. Sometimes they have to beat it. Sometimes they have to scrape it off with something very, very sharp and hot, and they scrape it off the top in order to make that gold more pure, make it a more valuable substance. And please don't miss verse 8. The blessing that you and I have, whom having not seen Jesus Christ. Anybody here see Jesus Christ? Don't raise your hand because we're going to make fun of you. No, none of us have. Has anybody heard the audible voice of Jesus Christ before? No. But do you believe him? Do you love him more than anyone else on this planet? You realize that that makes you a strange anomaly to the unseen spiritual world? We're going to talk, we're going to end tonight with talking about that. So don't miss verse 8. But turn over to chapter 4. Still holding your place in James 1. Chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Look in verse 12. Can I get a reader for verses 12 and 13? Warren. Beloved, think, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. <laughs> but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Jesus says that whenever you and I suffer for him, whenever we go through any kind of testing of our faith, or even temptation, as we're going to see here in a little bit, and if we stand strong in that, and we don't let it sway us, we don't let it weaken our faith, or we don't give in and just dial things back, Jesus Christ says, you're being a partaker of my sufferings. You're becoming conformable you're being molded in that fiery furnace to be more like him. So he says, don't think it anything strange. This is good. This is needed. Rejoice, he says. So in both of these passages, and flipping back to James 1, he says, rejoice, rejoice, count it all joy. Easier said than done. Easier said than done, especially for those of you who are going through it. It's easy for us, like just even looking around the room, and I don't know what's going on in your day-to-day lives. I don't know what's going on personally with you. Maybe somebody in this room has just had a hellacious week. Maybe you are going through the ringer, so to speak, for months on end, and it seems as though there is no end in sight, and nobody in this room knows that's what you're going through. Very hard to count it all joy if that's where you're at right now. But he says that's what we should do. Because this trial, this testing time that you're being put through, it's making you more perfect. What does that word mean? I talked about it last week. What does perfect mean, biblically speaking? I mean, it does mean perfection. It does mean holiness. It means 100% purity. Now, are you and I ever going to be like that while we're on this planet? No. You know when we are going to be like that? When? At the rapture, when we get a brand new glorified body, it'll be a body just like His, according to 1 John. And when we have a body that is just like His, then we will be perfect, because as He is, so will we be. However, 
Every day until that happens, we are in a sanctification process, which means each and every single day we are being perfected to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Now ask yourself, since coming off camps and starting school even, do you look more like Jesus Christ today than you did when school started? Or do you look less like him? You got to count your you got to ask yourself that question. Because you see the trying of your faith it worketh patience and patience perfects. Patience helps make you to look more like Jesus Christ. Look at the again at the end of verse 4 where it says you're perfect and entire. That word means whole. In other words, it means that whatever trial you're going through, it's giving you something that was missing. If patience makes you entire, it makes you whole. That means that whatever happened before the trial, you're missing something that you need. And this trial is helping to give it to you. You'll understand more by the end of tonight's lesson. And he says, you'll be entire wanting nothing. I got to tell you, and I, I almost mentioned this on Sunday, but I was running out of time. Sunday morning's main service message. Uh, even though we want Jesus Christ to come back so that he gets the glory that he deserves, if I'm being honest with you guys, as much as I hate this world and I hate this flesh and I can't wait for him to come back to get the glory that he deserves, I'm not ready yet. I'm enjoying life right now. I'm enjoying seeing what God's doing in your lives right now. And I'm enjoying to see, man, who's next? Who are we going to reach out next? Which of your guys' friends is going to come to church and going to get saved next as a result of everything God's doing in our midst? Who's going to be the next preacher that stands up in our guys' group study that we're doing and is just going to knock an awesome message right out of the park? I want to see these things happen. And I'm not wanting Christ to come back because I'm having too much fun enjoying walking with him right now. Is that you too? And the struggle is for you and I to get to the spot where, man, you know what? We want nothing more other than Jesus Christ to be glorified. Even though, yeah, we're liking and we're having fun right now. We're wanting a lot of good things to happen for his kingdom's sake. To get to the spot where we're saying, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus Christ has suffered long time waiting for the moment that he can sit down on the throne in Jerusalem and rule and reign forever and have his enemies finally bow down and worship him and call him Lord. He wants that day to come so much. Is that your desire? And does that desire of yours trump any other desire that you have? Like following the career path that you want, getting married, starting a family. That's when it starts being a little bit difficult to say, yes, Lord, even so, come Lord Jesus. Gets to be a little bit harder when that's the case. So count it all joy when the proof of your faith is put to the test. It says in Proverbs 17.3, the fining pot is for silver. It's a crucible that holds the contents to try it and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. God's testing what's inside of you. 
and I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. Remember, trials make you whole and entire. Anytime you're getting put to the test, there are impurities that should be rising to the surface that you're seeing about yourself and asking the Lord to purge or to clean it, to prune it. Remember those two messages we had before camp? To take it away from you so that you can be more like Him. Next point. God uses this time to get rid of immaturities to make you more like Christ. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but Romans chapter 8, verse 22 to 23 talk about how all of creation is groaning for that day when Jesus Christ comes back. You and I should be groaning for that day when we get our new glorified bodies. It says we travail in pain together, waiting for the adoption, the adoption of our new bodies, because trials work with patience. And verse 28 and 29 says that all things work together for good because God is conforming us to the image of His dear Son, making us look more like Him. God gives you what you need. You see that in Romans 8. Somebody tell me, what does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my... I shall not want for anything. I shall not want anything more. Because Jesus is enough. You'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Not only that, but the next point. Trials lead to a bold prayer life as thinking becomes clear and focused on what really matters. Look at me in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God. Keep in mind the context here. It's suffering. It's trials. It's going through a time of testing. In that context, if any of you lack wisdom, how do I handle this? What do I say to this person? Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Won't find that word often throughout your Bible, so you better perk up your ears whenever you do see it. And upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is what? In all his ways. This is one of those verses where you look at it and you're like, okay, uh, am I unstable in all my ways? Well, I guess that means that I'm not single-focused. I'm not single-minded on things. And then, even though you ask yourself that question, you then flip it around and you do the inverse. Do I overthink things? Am I double-minded? Am I of two minds on an issue? Do I maybe talk out of both sides of my mouth? Then each that, And you might think to yourself, okay, well, I guess that's me, but it doesn't seem like my life is out of order. It doesn't seem like my life's a mess. Well, this is where you look into the perfect law of liberty, the mirror of God's word, if you will. And if you say yes to the one thing, automatically the other thing is true because let God be true and every man a liar. So if you say, yeah, you know what? I, I tend to you know, overthink things or I'm double-minded or I can't make up my mind on this way or that way. I can't make a decision one way or the other. But no, life is good. It's peachy keen. You're lying to yourself or you're deceiving yourself. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Your life is just a mess in every area. 
family, school, youth, your work relationship with God. It's all around just wild and whacked. So rather than wishing the pain away, first bullet point there, ask God for wisdom to weather the storm. Ask him what one thing is God trying to get your attention on? What single thing do you need to learn through this trial, through this time of suffering? Because this is what true riches are. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better it is to get wisdom than what? You see, he's making a comparison here. See, if gold is the trying of our faith... Well, what is the wisdom you're gaining from this trial? What is it, the lesson that's being learned from this time of testing? Andy just talked for about 49 minutes the other day about wisdom. Excuse me, 49? It was 49. And to get understanding rather than to be chosen, rather to be chosen than silver. Revelation 3. Somebody tell me the context. What's Revelation 3 about? You have two churches. One's called Philadelphia. The other one's called what? Laodicea, the rights of the people, the church age that describes us perfectly. And God's counsel to that church is to buy of me, Jesus Christ, gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. These are true riches. You need to ask yourself and you need to be asking God, Lord, what is the one thing that I need to learn from this trial? This trial that is trying me as gold in the fire. What is the wisdom that I need to adhere that needs to be added to my life? And make no mistake about it. Next bullet point. Instability comes from a lack of single-mindedness. And it will ensure a lack of success. What do I mean by that? That word unstable only shows up four times in your Bible. That's it. One of them's here. It says you're unstable in all your ways. The other three locations, the very first mention, is talking about Reuben. Jacob's going through and he's talking to all of his sons. And it's actually a beautiful picture in Genesis 49 of the judgment seat of Christ, where the father has his children, his sons before him. And he starts telling him, here's how you are. Here's what you're like. Here is it based upon your works. He says, Reuben is as unstable as water. We just talked about that in verse 6, didn't we? A man who wavers in his prayers, a man who wavers through the trials, he's like a wave tossed. He's unstable as water. And he says, thou shalt not what? No success. You're not going to learn anything through this time of testing. Next, in 2 Peter. The next two mentions are in 2 Peter. Chapter 2 is all about false prophets, false teachers, and he describes the false teachers as having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Can anyone excel when they, are, have, when they are, cannot stop from sinning? When they are so caught up in their sin, they are beguiling unstable souls. And then in chapter 3, he talks about those who are unlearned and unstable. You know what they do? They rest or twist. They wrestle as they do also the other scriptures unto what? Their own destruction. 
all four mentions of the word unstable, it guarantees your failure in this life. It guarantees failure in your walk with the Lord. In this case, it's being double-minded. It's not having a single focus. It's being unstable, instability. We got to be careful with this. Because there are some times God will throw something your way or somebody will say something to you. Or maybe an incident happens in your life and the way you react completely topples over your entire walk. Maybe somebody said something and maybe an incident happened and your reaction to it showed that you are completely just unraveled. You're unstable. It's almost as though if you had a cup and when that cup is turned over, what comes out? The contents that are in it. The contents thereof. You might be thinking, well, no, it's because they knocked my cup over. She said this. He did that. This situation that was out of my control happened to me. Yes, but what was your reaction? If it was not with patience, you might want to evaluate if you are unstable. And then relook at these verses and see if you want to remain that way or not. We're in the process of maturing as we follow the Lord. This is one of the character traits. How you do in suffering will determine if you are a true, genuine follower of the Lord or not. I'm not saying saved or, or lost. I'm saying a disciple. Got to be looking into these things. Now, as we kind of saw last week with our introduction, you know, this is a letter that James is writing historically to Jews of the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad because of persecution. But there's also a doctrinal application. We saw that last week, right? Who could tell me what the doctrinal application? What's the prophetic future meaning of this book? How's God going to use it in the future? What is that noise? It's weird. It's It's getting Christmas season, Andy. We're going to be quoting Christmas Vacation left and right. What's the doctrinal application of this book, Costa? Why? Where? During what time? The tribulation period. Prophetically speaking, God is going to use this book in an incredible way to reach out to those after the rapture of the church who are still left here, specifically the 12 tribes of Israel who are going to comprise the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. And so with each chapter, there's usually one in each chapter, probably not chapter 3, and I don't think in chapter 4. But each chapter, we're going to see a passage that has a tribulation context to it that we have to look at and we have to tackle. Because otherwise, you're going to be sitting there wondering, well, how on earth does this apply? And the historical goes in with the doctrinal. So look with me in verse 9. This is one of those. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Now you might be looking at that and thinking, huh, okay, so 
rich people can't be saved, poor people go to heaven. Awesome. That's why we have to look at this and dive into this in a tribulation aspect. So on your outline here, I put a little note there. When this letter was written, again, think back to the historical application. The rich refused to help the poor who were scattered abroad suffering persecution. Why would the rich refuse to do that? Well, lest they also fell under the same fate. Can you imagine if you're on the run for your life and the authorities, the government itself is following after you, is chasing after you, and you stop at a house in one of these neighborhoods nearby, you start knocking on the door, they open the door, and they hear sirens blaring, and you're saying, please help me, I'm on the run from the authorities. What do you think is going to happen to them? It's going to be what, Andy? Aiding and abetting. <laughs> is that not it? It is aiding and abetting. Oh, okay. What? Well, no one's actually doing it. It's a hypothetical scenario. Oh, sorry. No one can hear air quotes on the podcast, Andy. Sorry, he digresses again. They're going to be put in some big trouble if they assist you. So historically speaking, around 40 A.D. when James wrote this letter, or 35, 37 A.D. when James wrote this letter, the rich, the wealthy, the more elite, they didn't want to bother themselves with the possibility of losing their house, losing their loved ones, and losing some jail, or getting into some jail time and losing precious time off their life so they wouldn't help out the suffering who were being persecuted. Likewise, in the tribulation period, the rich with all the gold will be those who have taken the mark of the beast under the false Babylonian religion or government of the Antichrist. Up here, Isaiah 14, 4, that thou shalt take up the proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city Babylon is known as ceased. This is a prophetic uh, passage in Isaiah 14. Jeremiah 51 says, Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. Boy, you can have some fun tracing that passage throughout Scripture. Babylon has a golden cup, and she, according to Revelation 17, has a cup that she gives the nations, and they have drunken her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. This is a passage talking about the one world religious system that is going to cause millions upon millions. And she's already doing it throughout the entire world to drink from her cup every single Sunday. And in some cases, every single Saturday, drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. How do we know that the rich are going to be the ones in the tribulation period? Because of Revelation 13, 17. And that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So again, in the tribulation period, the true saints are going to be the ones who are going to be poor because they're going to be on the run for their lives because they're not allowed to buy or sell unless they have the mark. Critical, critical crucial. While they enjoy their riches the sun will burn it all to the ground. Did you, did you catch that in verse 11? 
Even verse 10, as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth. Many of you guys have looked at this verse before, and rightly so, but from a devotional standpoint, that time is short. Time is of the essence. Life is but a vapor. The flower of our life, it fadeth and it pass away. There's also historical and a doctrinal application to this. And here's the doctrinal application. Because of Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. That's supposed to say 3? I think this was supposed to be 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name, the poor, you could even translate the poor in spirit, as Christ said in Matthew 5, Unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Who is the capital S-U-N of righteousness? He's the capital S-O-N of God. Because Revel or 1 Thessalonians, actually, hold your place here. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, a few books to your left. Those of you that drank the lemonade, doing good? Uh, feeling okay? Stomach feeling fantastic. All right. Second oh, it's extraordinarily toasty in here. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Look at verse four. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your what? And faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense or pay back revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Tribulation to them that trouble you. That's what James was talking about with the rich that were troubling the poor. Verse 7, And to you who are troubled with or troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yikes, that is not going to be a good day for anyone who's still here. That's not going to be a good day for anybody who's taken the mark of the beast. That is not going to be a good day for the rich in the tribulation period. And note, it's not because God is a mean, cruel God. No, it's that he gave them a chance to respond to the gospel and they chose not to obey. They chose not to submit. That's what it says there. So back in James chapter 1, James is letting these guys know, hey, I see your tribulation, God sees your tribulation, and He's going to take care of those who have wronged you. I don't know if any of you guys have gone through this yet this school year, of anyone who has wronged you, either in word or action, but if you suffer patiently and count it all joy, I mean, maybe not to this extent, but God will take care of things. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him?
Seems to be a reoccurring theme, reoccurring question of the night. And even devotionally speaking, those seeking this world's riches, making a name for themselves, being popular, career-oriented, trying to go after the white picket fence with the two kids and the dog, the neighbor bringing you lemonade, That's their idea of settling down. And hey, praise God, we go to church on Sundays. What they're not, what they're failing to realize is that one day that life, which not that there's anything wrong with that life, but you guys get what I'm saying with that type of lifestyle where it's, as Revelation 3 says, I'm rich and increased with goods. I have need of nothing what they don't realize is that all of their piling up on this planet, their house, their job, their career, their 401k, their grades, their college education, whether or not they're going to graduate cum sum laude, whether or not they're going to be in the top 10, whether or not they're going to be, whatever the case they're building up, one day it's all going to burn up physically on this earth. And if you are a believer... It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ. If it wasn't done with Christ's kingdom in mind, rather than making your own kingdom here on this planet. That's the devotional application of that. Time is precious, so buy real gold. Get some skin in the game. Be willing to let God test you and take it patiently. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that what? Let no man say, when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Even in Genesis 22, when it says that the Lord tempted Abraham, you can look at Hebrews 11:17, I believe it is. That word is used there to say that God was testing Abraham. He's not tempting him to sin. Verse 14. But every man is tempted. Oh, don't miss this. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what? And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, your response, back on your outline, your response to trials and temptations reveals your growth level. How you respond in both the testing and trying of your faith and the temptations that come with your faith and walking with God. How you respond to both, it will reveal whether or not you have the marks of a maturing disciple. You see, the first bullet point on there we are not tempted with lust. And I get it. That's a word that we always synonymously use talking about sexual sin. But do you guys realize according to Romans chapter 7, that word lust, it just simply means to covet? It's the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. You're wanting something. You're wanting more than what God has allowed for you. So this goes for everybody in here, whether you, you're struggle with lust in the sexual realm or just wanting things or wanting people or wanting objects or wanting notoriety that is more than what God has allowed for you. This goes for everyone. 
We always often say, man, I was tempted with lust, but that's not how it says it here. Rather, we follow our lust and thereby become tempted to sin. Did you see that in verse 13 or verse 14? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is utterly huge. It's not the other way around. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he what? Fall. A falling, a falling down, a falling away. Verse 13. Memorize both of these verses. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Common temptation. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able. I don't care what it is. I don't care how many times you've fallen. I don't care how many times you say, man, I just can't seem to escape it. That verse says otherwise. He will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with a temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Do you believe that? Are you seeing that? Take heed lest ye fall. Speaking of falling, Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says, Enter not. Just going with this theme again of we get we of our own lust pursue to be tempted. We open ourselves up and make ourselves susceptible to temptation. Enter not into the path of the wicked. That means it's your choice. Go not into the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. I use this passage when we were talking in biblical relationships about physical contact with members of the opposite sex. Well, if you just stay out of the path of the wicked to begin with, you won't have to be tempted with avoiding it. And if you avoid it, you won't be tempted with the possibility of passing by it. And if you just turn from it and pass away, you'll be fine. But if you just don't go in the path of the wicked to begin with, you won't be tempted to sin. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And then he's enticed. And then he's tempted. And lust, when it's conceived, bringeth forth sin and death. But not only that, talking about falling, right? Psalm 715. He made a pit and digged it and is what? Into the ditch which he made. This is where you get the expression, you dig your own grave. You decided to make the pit. You decided to dig it. Don't be surprised if you're falling into the ditch. Because you went away of your own lust of what you want. Remember, your response to these things lets you know how well you're following the Lord whether you're following him closely as a disciple or not. And just to throw this in for a good measure, for a whore is a deep ditch, Proverbs 23, 27. Don't go into the path of the wicked. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, pass away. You fall into a ditch, you're probably going to be falling into lust. 
in the sexual realm. You know what 1 Peter 5.8 says? Anybody have that memorized? Be sober. Yeah, exactly. The very next verse says, Whom resist steadfast? Resist him. We'll talk about that when we get to James chapter 4. And he says in verse 10 that after you've resisted him, after you've suffered, in other words, you've borne the brunt of that, you've not given into that temptation, it'll perfect you. It'll make you more like Christ. But as you see on the next point, if you love the Lord, you will grow to resist temptation and you'll receive a reward of your sufferings. He talks about the crown of life. Anybody know what John 14, 15 says? If ye love me. Yeah. He's going to give the crown of life in verse 12, end of verse 12, which he's promised to those that love him. Again, this was the verse that broke me as a, going into my sophomore year of camp. Somehow, any of you guys ever have like a verse memorized and you're like, how on earth did I memorize that? Because I don't even read my Bible. Don't raise your hand. But that was me, freshman year of high school. Somehow I had that verse memorized and that was the verse that broke me. It's one of those ones, kind of like we saw earlier with James 1.8 about the double-mindedness. It says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Okay, we'll take a verse like that and do the inverse of it. Okay, if I'm not keeping his commandments, if I'm not walking with God, then that means I don't love him. Sometimes when you just reword things like that, it breaks you because it did me. One day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, he's going to reward us with crowns. This crown, the crown of life, is given to those who resist temptation. But there's something else that's unique about this crown of life. This is the only crown. There's only five crowns that we have a possibility of receiving at the judgment seat. This crown is the only crown where there are two possible ways that you can get it. One is here by resisting temptation, and the other one is Revelation 2.10. For none of those things which thou shalt... I should have highlighted that. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be... I should have highlighted that. And ye shall have... I did highlight that. Tribulation, ten days. Be thou faithful unto what? And I will give thee a crown of life. So it appears here in Revelation 2.10 that this is a crown you get for being martyred. What are the similarities between the two? It's the same crown... Here you get it for being martyred. James 1, you get it for resisting temptation. Bridge the gap. Make it similar. Isabella. Bingo. Galatians chapter 5, 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You die to self every single day. You will both resist temptation and you'll be faithful unto death. And you'll be able to cast this crown back at the Lord's feet. Look again at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, bringeth forth death. 
when lusts, that's interesting, both life and death start at conception. Here's the passage talking about death starting at conception. When lust conceives, it bears a child. That child is sin. And that's, that child will surely kill you. You know what you learn from this, what you glean from this? You either, you're, either you're, <laughs> I put you, it should be your, either your walk will grow or sin will grow. Satan is a great counterfeiter. Jesus Christ wants us multiplying and reproducing disciples. Mm-hmm. Satan is also in the multiplication and reproduction business. Only here, this reproduction brings forth something that will surely end your walk. And in some cases, depending on the sin, may just end your life. Yeah, we're talking about stuff that, you know, if you're dumb and you get into drinking and you get behind the wheel one day, yep, might just kill you. Could also mean that one day God's had enough. And he decides, all right, son, daughter, it's time to come home. Last point. And before we actually get to that, let's just read it. Verses 16 to 20, and we'll be done with James 1 tonight. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every what? Perfect gift is from above. Now, we've been talking a lot about perfect tonight. Which two verses does this tie back into? Verses 3 and 4. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work. So trials are equated with perfection. Trials, testing, is equated with you being more like Christ. And according to verse 17 here, Perfection is equated to a gift. Now on your study sheet. Suffering can be a gift from God if you allow it to be. I never saw that before until I started writing this book out and studying it. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect. And it comes through trials and suffering. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness. That means he's not fickle. That means that God, though we may be, God is not unstable. Neither is there shadow of turning. That means he's not going to change his mind. Change his mind about what? Look at verse 18. Of his own will, meaning it started in God's will, it started in God's mind that he would redeem us. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits, first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, he ends this section the same way as he began, calling them beloved, his brethren. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. See, on your outline, if the trying of your faith worketh patience and patience perfects, which is another word for matures, then start viewing it as the gift that God intended it to be. 
talked earlier about gold being tried in like a crucible. Crucible is a, is a tight formation. It's a tight little canister that the contents thereof are held in. It's almost like being equated to, you know, it just trials in general to being squeezed and pressed. Anybody know what the word gath means? Where Goliath was from? Gath means wine press. And boy, David sure was tested in his faith when he went up against Goliath of Gath. You know what Gethsemane means? The garden which Christ prayed and was in a deep trial and time of testing in his life? Gethsemane took place near a mount. Anybody want to guess what mount it was? Mount Olives. So what does Gethsemane mean? Oil press. Oil press. From pressing olives. Hey, what do you get when you squeeze lemons? Wrong. Wrong. You get what's inside. Don't believe me? In 1978, a dozen Europeans in at least three countries became ill after eating Israeli oranges, lemons, and grapefruit that had been tainted with mercury. A group of Palestinian extremists took responsibility for the poisoning, saying its goal was to sabotage the Israeli economy. Do you trust me? No. <laughs> Some of you changing your mind. You know why? Because you're being put to the proof right now. You're being put to the proof as to whether or not, did I actually do something or not? Because here, these whack jobs did against God's people. But you learn a very valuable lesson from this. When you're being pressed, what's inside comes out. So you might be thinking, man, when that happened to me, that incident, or when she said this to me, or when he did that to me. To go back to our illustration earlier, how did you react? Mm -hmm. You might be thinking, well, it's because of what they said or did. Mm -mm. Because what's inside comes out. If you are sowing in the flesh in Galatians chapter 6, if you are Walking in the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, you are going to reap or produce the flesh. However, if you are putting in, being filled with the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit, and sowing in the Spirit, what comes out of you will be Spirit-filled when your cup is tipped upside down and you are put to the test. You learn from this, you get what's inside. You know what else you gain from this analogy and just from trials in general? If this is a perfect gift and it's making us entire or whole as we saw, where is it? I lost it. Verse 4. We need to start looking at trials as God's giving us something that we need. Now, 
How many of you guys tasted your lemonade and it was completely fine? Maybe, a, you know, a little sugary, but fine. Hands high. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, one of y'all's lying. Two y'all's lying, actually. How many of you tasted it and it was pretty bitter? Like what? Out of those eight cups, yeah. out of those eight cups, <laughs> five of them had apple cider vinegar in them. Yeah. You know what apple cider vinegar does? It helps low. No, it doesn't. It helps lower. It helps lower blood sugar. It helps calm acid reflux. If any of you wake up and you have acid reflux, take a shot of that bad boy. It has acetic acid, which can kill harmful bacteria in your system. It has natural probiotics, which can improve your immune system and gut health. It has antioxidants, which are naturally occurring substances that can prevent damage to your body's cells. <laughs> it causes Alzheimer's. No, it doesn't. What? No, it doesn't. What if someone was Listen. It's natural. Hmm? It's gluten free, actually. So you're you're lucky there. Oh, hey, some of you, it was just normal lemonade, and sometimes that's what life is like. And by the way, it was less than a teaspoon that was in that cup. But you know what? In a trial, it's really hard for us to see what is it that God has for us? What is it that he's wanting us to see is the benefit from this trial? We often get so transfixed on the pain and on how bitter things are, and we even fail to realize that even though it tastes sucky, God's giving us something that we need. He's giving us something that will help us to be more like him. We need to start viewing it as such. You see, Job in 23, we won't take the time to look there. Actually, it'll be the last place we turn. Turn there. Job 23. Job was in going through an intense time of trial and testing. Job 23. Look at verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. So feel like that sometimes when you're suffering. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, what? I shall come forth as gold. You see, Job didn't see it right then and there. But what he needed to realize is what Job 42.5 says at the end of his trial. I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. It's hard for us to see it in the midst of suffering. Maybe you're going through something right now and you're finding something out about yourself tonight. You're seeing what God's word has to say about you about trials, about testing. And maybe you've been looking at this the entire wrong way. 
start viewing it, start seeing it from God's perspective. You see, last point, God has a wonderful plan to show you off in the midst of your suffering that he might be glorified. He, he said back, you don't have to turn back there, but in James 1, he said that he wants to make us a kind of first fruits uh, being begotten of him, of his creatures. Do you realize that in Colossians 2 and Ephesians chapter 3, God says that Jesus Christ did something amazing when he died on the cross. It said that he took our sin, he nailed it to the cross, and then he went to the powers and principalities, the unseen spiritual world, and he made a show of them. And it says in Ephesians 3 that when you and I receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, it says that we become a marvel to the powers and principalities, and they behold and they are wondering, we don't get it. They've never seen Him before. They've never heard Him before. Why are they surrendering their lives to them? How is it that when they're going through a trial, immense testing, immense a temptation they're not giving in and we saw him face to face and we still chose to follow the serpent that's what he likes to do to you he likes to show you off in front of them and say behold my servant job think about that the next time you're being tested that it's not just woe is me and nobody understands what I'm going through. That might be the case. We're flawed people down here. But there's one who knows what you're going through and he's got an immense plan to do something with the way you're feeling, with the way that you've been treated, mistreated, through the unforeseen circumstances that are outside of your control that have happened to you, that have tipped the contents of your cup over. He wants to mature you so that you're more like his dear son. How have you been doing on that? Have you been put to the proof? I'll end with this. I asked you guys, especially those of you who took the lemonade. <laughs> Sounds so cultish now that I'm thinking about it. It's not like it's the first time it's entered my head this week, but I did get approval from other pastors on this. Oftentimes in our trials, we find ourselves wondering, God, can I trust you on this? That's why I ask that. But remember, temptation also means putting to the proof. Mm -hmm. Don't hesitate the next time, or maybe that's happening to you right now, that you're being tested. It might not be God asking, hey, can you trust me? Maybe God's asking you, can I trust you? I took a chance that those of you who took the lemonade wouldn't run out of here to go try to throw up any poison you might have thought you drank. And you guys trusted me. And I proved you that you guys trusted me. The next time you're being tested, it might not be that God's not wondering, huh, can you trust me? Because you know you can trust him. He's proved himself time and time again. But maybe he's wanting to know, can I take you? Are you, son, are you, daughter, ready for me to take you to the next level of your walk with me? Are you ready to mature? Depending on your reaction to trials, you might not. 
And maybe that's why you might be in the rut that you're in right now because of past fails of test. It's okay. His mercies are new each morning. Just know that whenever the next test comes around. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, uh, again, this thunderous book and how James just doesn't come out pulling no punches, comes out swinging. I pray that you would uh, let us take the lessons learned from tonight. And I'll be honest, it was this section of passages that it had me wondering if James was the right book for us. But Lord, even if no one's going through a, a massive trial of persecution for their faith, I'm sure they're suffering in some way, whether it be something that someone said or something that they're going through or, or maybe even just suffering temptation and they're battling it right now. So Lord, I hope tonight that they got something from it. And if not, they'd go back over these notes and they'd commit to memory verses that are going to help them to walk closer with you. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name.